Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Nehemiah chapter 4, and uh, when I preached that sermon, I thought to myself, I'm going to do a series, um, A Mind to Work and A Mind to War, because if you know anything about that text... Uh, they're also in battle at the time they're building. Just to recap, um, things we hit on in a mind to war was that we need people who are able to see the need and allow God's compassion to move them toward the need and meeting the need, not running away. We gave the illustration of the priest and the Levite versus the Good Samaritan. And then we talked about that there's labor, uh, labor on your job, labor in just your own personal lives, and then there's labor in the kingdom of God, and that's the work we're talking about here, because how many know we can be workaholics, but there's work in God's kingdom that we need to personally invest in. We talked about following uh, leadership, but also enlisting others, so not only are we a disciple, but we're making disciples. In the New Testament, uh, I think the word Christian is used like two or three times, and the word disciples used over 150 times, somewhere in the neighborhood there. So God's called us to be disciple, and that means just a learner and a follower. And then we talked about uh, laboring and toiling in the kingdom of God and through blood, sweat, and tears we're able to birth fruitfulness and God's going to grant us that fruitfulness in abundance as long as we keep laboring and holding on to his promises. Uh, so now I want to talk about this week a mind to war and that's what I'm going to preach on. Uh, the text is Nehemiah 4 7 through 20, and um, the inspiration, like I said, was I was going to do this sermon um, as a series with a mind to work, and then I was like, as the week went on, I was like, should I do this, God, or do you want something else? Is that just all me? Uh, we went to men's discipleship on Friday in Carbondale, and I was like, God, if he preaches on war, or anything to do with war uh, in this sermon, then I'm going to do the, the, the sermon. And sure enough, uh, he preached about how the breath of God reviving the valley of dry bones and raising up an army of God. And then he basically said, we're at war. And so I was like, okay, thanks God for the confirmation. And it's so nice when God confirms something that you're preaching because you don't want to just be throwing out words and it not be what God wants to say to his people. So I believe that I have the mind of God this morning and hope, hopefully this will minister to you and help you. 
Um, the text Nehemiah 4, 7 through 20. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of, our, of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, for whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, their swords with their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held the weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And then I, then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, there our God will fight for us. Let's pray. God, I pray, speak to your people today, God. Give us a mind not just to work and labor, but to war, God. Help us to understand, God, that even if we want to take our ease, God, that the devil is not backing down, that we are at spiritual warfare, whether we like it or not. And I pray we would embrace the mindset of being soldiers in your army, God, and we would take dominion over the enemy, God. For that is the only true path to peace, God, is victory in your kingdom. We thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So firstly, I want to look at recognizing the threat. Now, when I was in the military, I was always trying to find ways to get paid more money. And so uh, I was an E5. So once you became an E5, you got... Uh, basic housing allowance. So I would sleep on my friend's couch, give him a little rent, and I would pocket the rest. <laughs> and then uh, what I did was I tried to get promoted here and there. I got sea pay because we would I was on a ship. That was inevitable. But I couldn't get any more pay uh, unless I got married. And you don't just get married, you get paid. But um, so I said, you know what? 
what can I do? And there was search and rescue pay, which was a hazard duty pay if you became a rescue swimmer. So I said, okay, I'm gonna try this thing out. And I went to rescue swimmer school and one of the things they taught us at all times was keep your head on a swivel. If you can imagine like an owl, how they're facing you and then they're facing, it's kind of scary, but the point is, what they were saying is, if you're engaged in something, if you're doing something in the water or rescuing someone or tying something off, make sure you're always looking, keep your wits about you, because if a line gets caught here and snaps and hits you, it could kill you. Or if a line gets caught here and caught around a propeller and tugs you under, you could be in trouble. And uh, not to mention there's uh, drowning victims that you're looking for. There's people who may be suicidal. So there's all kinds of threats uh, that you need to keep your wits about you and keep your head on a swivel. And uh, that's what I want to look at here is recognizing the threat. Uh, text uh, in our text, verse nine, nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set watch against them day and night. So the Jews in this context, uh, they set a watch because they knew their enemies was, were conspiring against them. So they became watchful to recognize the threat. This is a lot uh, like we talked about last week where we're recognizing the need. Not only do we need to recognize the need because we're working, but we're also at war. So we need to recognize the threat at the same time. When you're at war, the enemy could attack at any time. And that's uh, one of the things we always did in the military is you're standing the watch. They say if you fall asleep on watch in a time of war, you'll be executed because the watch is that important. Uh, a lot of people, they don't want to be the Christian warrior. They want to go to the church that's, you know, oh, that was a great service. Oh, I liked it. He was so funny. Or, oh, that was some good stuff. But the problem is with that is we are at war, whether you like it or not. And Satan is not going to be like, oh, you want to sign a peace treaty? Oh, no problem. Let's just, we don't have to do this anymore. No, he is always looking to gain the upper hand. And he's always looking to war. And so the only way you're going to be at peace is when you gain victory. And there are times in your Christian walk where you are totally at peace. But oftentimes it comes through making a hard decision or making a hard stand. And when you do that, the other side of that is peace. When Jesus went to the cross, that was very difficult. That was very hard. But on the back side of the cross, there was a peace. He rose from the dead, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, when I was, uh, when I got saved, I six months after I got saved, I was about to head out to sea. And I, I was praising God just in worship. And I said, you know what, God? I'm never going to turn back. I was like, I've seen what the world has. And I've seen what your kingdom has. And from here on out, I am never going to turn back. Now, here I am 20 years later. So that has some validity and some weight to it. But that decision is a decision I believe every Christian needs to make. Because at some point. You'll go through testings and trials 
And they'll become overwhelming to the point where you want to quit, where you want to back down. And if that commitment isn't there to hold on to you, then you could very well fold. And so I encourage you, if you've never made that commitment before, make that commitment. There's no turning back. Because I had to get real with myself. I was pretty bad as a sinner. So I knew that if I turned back, the Bible says you'll get seven times worse. I couldn't imagine seven times worse than what I was. I'd be like Pauly Shore or something. I don't know. But the text, uh, verse 10, is then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Now here we see people, they're worn out, they're discouraged, their strength is failing because there's so much rubbish. What is rubbish? That sounds kind of like cabbage, but no, it's, it's trash, rubble, dust, dirt. It's the building materials that you are left over that you can't build upon, okay? This is sometimes uh, the stuff we have going on in our lives that God can't use to build us. And you have to determine what your own rubbish is. I can't tell you what r rubbish is in your life. But uh, what happens is we look at it and we become weary because we know it's going to be a lot of work to get rid of this. It's going to take some hard decisions, some, some stands. Now, when I gave my life to Jesus, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped cussing. I stopped going to the club. I stopped dating people who weren't Christians that shared my convictions. I stopped looking at images and things I shouldn't look at. I stopped listening to music that I shouldn't listen to. And uh, this was garbage. This was rubbish in my life that needed to get out, out of my life. In our text, there were these piles of rubbish everywhere around the walls. Now, these are things that need to be cleared out of the way if God can build. Sometimes this may be sin, but other times it might not be sin. It's just something that's clogging up your life, that's taking a place in your heart uh, where God wants to build. These are distractions sometimes. They're meaningless things that we give ourselves to uh, that we think will bring us happiness, but they don't. This might be the extra half an hour of sleep instead of prayer. I love sleep, don't get me wrong. But sometimes you've got to make yourself and your flesh say, no, it's time to pray. And you have to deny yourself. Uh, this is that relationship that you may have with that person or, or that person that you talk to that you know is poisoning you spiritually. They have nothing good to say about God. They have nothing good to say about the church. But yet you refuse to judge that relationship and make a stand. And the reason why rubbish is so dangerous is that the enemy can work around rubbish to attack you. What's happening in our text is these big piles of rubbish, the enemy would just go hide behind them and then would jump out and attack. As uh, in our text, everywhere we look, they're just jumping out and attacking us. 
It's because there was so much rubbish in the way. And these very things that God's dealing with you, get, get them out of your life. These things are meaningless. They're a waste of time. They're a waste of your heart, your emotions. You know, and, and God's saying, get them out. Get rid of them. The enemy is going to use those things to attack if you're not careful. Most people, when they backslide, they don't just go from a born-again Christian to full-on Satanism the next day. I've never seen that, honestly. But in Matthew 13, 3-9, it says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is a familiar portion of Scripture, uh, if you've read the Gospels. The seed here is the word of God. The soil is the heart of a person. So the sower is going preaching the word of God to people. They're believing in their heart. Uh, the word planted is that person getting saved. It actually is translated in the Greek sozo, which means saved, healed, delivered. So when someone says, once saved, always saved. No, these people backslid. That's not true. The birds of the air, these are demonic powers that come in and steal the word from the hearts of people. You witness to one person one day, they're in tears. Oh, God, touch me, save me. Then the next day you talk to them, I don't know, I don't, I'm not coming. It's because they decided they were going to believe for a moment, and then they just said, no, this is too hard, I quit. And the, the demonic <laughs> powers just stole that word right from their heart. It wasn't reinforced by faith or, or truth or anything else. The heat of the day. These are trials and tribulations. What I was talking about earlier. The testings that will come. And because of these things, people, they, they end up folding under the pressure because it's too, too great. And they have not made that commitment to say, no matter what, I'm going to live for God. And then the thorns. These are the cares of the world. This is the rubbish that I'm talking about. And so, I, I'm not going to hit on the other two. But the, the one that I really want to focus on here is that rubbish. This would be the person who gets saved and lives for God for a while. They have roots, a solid foundation. And they start getting rooted in the things of God and they're growing in Christ. And you're like, hey, they're doing really good. And now you see this person after being saved a while and after growing in God in some things... They start turning their focus away to other things, to the cares of the world. And as time goes on, those very cares begin to choke out the seed of the Word of God. And just like these piles of rubbish, the enemy surrounds them and they're under attack and they perish. Verse 12 of the text so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, for whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. They're surrounded by this rubbish, by the cares of the world. We need to be watchful, and we need to clear out the rubbish from our lives 
so that we're not vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Secondly, I want to look at getting in position. One of the things that's done in the military to teach soldiers to work together is, and to be unified is marching. Uh, when we joined, uh, when I was in the military in boot camp, we marched everywhere. We marched to chow, then we marched to school, then we marched to work out, then we marched yeah. There's a lot of marching. The first week was 75 miles of marching in the rain in new boots. And when we got done, our feet looked like hamburger. It was gross. So in this, uh, in this marching, what happens is at the end, you do a pass and review. And what that is, is all your family is in these bleachers in this big gymnasium. And then all the divisions, they go around and they march past them and they're like, and they look all cool. And then they stand in these groups and they're just sitting there. Well, I graduated in August in the hot sun. So what happens is these guys, they stand there and their knees lock up and then they pass out. And it's kind of funny if you're watching from the stands when they pass out. But the problem is, then they're out of position. And you can tell when they're out of position. Because if you were just walking by yourself and you passed out, you're like, oh, that guy passed out. But when you're in a big group of people, now you have a certain position that you're assigned to in relation to the people next to you. They said, stand this length away and this arm's length and whatnot. And you see that person pass out immediately. You can tell <laughs> he must have locked his knees. Because he fell out. And we had like nine people fall out in our passenger view. It was kind of, kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, I say that to say this. That it's crucial how we're positioned in the kingdom of God. If we're going to be victorious in spiritual warfare. The text in verse 13 says, Therefore I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families, their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah responds to the threat by positioning men. When men are out of position, oftentimes the whole family suffers. And that's a big thing in the, the world we live in today. Families have fallen apart because men won't take their rightful place. Thank God for godly women yes. who can make decisions and will stand up. But it's only because that man didn't take his rightful position in his rightful place and lead his home. In, our, in verse 14, uh, it says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your houses. We need to be willing to fight for our families, yes, for their right. salvation, for, for righteousness within our home. Not only uh, were the posi they positioned, but they were linked together and they were linked uh, with their leadership. Ask yourselves, am I linked with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I linked with my pastor? Am I linked with my pastor's wife? If someone came in here right now and was talking noise about, say, uh, Mikhail over here. That Mikhail, he's a no good rotten apple. 
would you stick up for him and say, actually, I know him, Cam. He's a good kid. You better back up or I have to call my pastor. You know, I don't know what you're going to do. You can't hit him. The point is, would you stick up? Would you make a stand and not let that division come in our ranks? Because that's what God needs is people who will stand for one another and not allow division to come in our ranks. And then uh, in verse 19 and 20, it says, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us, our God will fight for us. So here we see that because there is so much work to be done, that the people are concerned because they're spread so thin, they're spread out along the wall, and so the enemy can try and attack at a weak point, an area where there's not a lot of manpower, and they can be overpowered. So they said, blow the trumpet, and we'll all band together and fight off the enemy. That needs to be the culture of our church, and I do believe it's in here, but we need to foster and we need to promote a culture that when the enemy comes against our brother or our sister or their family members or the things that they're going through, we need to be able to lift them up in prayer and rally around them and fight for them and fight for their soul because we're under attack. This is war. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Pastor Adam back with you again. Just wanted to give you this report that uh, you have been doing a great job of sharing the news of this podcast and continuing to download uh, episodes on a daily basis. The show has been growing by leaps and bounds. There's more of you listening now than at any other time in the podcast history. So we just want to say thank you once again for tuning in and listening to these anointed sermons. I just want to ask you one thing real quick. If you could do us a favor and leave us a review, especially those of you on Apple devices, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, uh, we need some five-star reviews. And also, uh, if you could leave a few notes in there about what you like best about this podcast, it would really, really help us. I'm sure that you know somebody who could use a daily podcast to get them through the day. Please make sure you share it with them. And uh, also... Uh, we are trying to get our hands on sermons from all across our fellowship. If you've got some good ones to share with us, we'd encourage you to please contact us using the links in the show notes. We'd love to feature your sermons from your church as well. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. Lastly, I want to look at the weapons of our warfare. Now, I have an illustration here. This is a 9mm. Now, it's not loaded. There's no clip in there. Obviously, the slide was open, so there's no bullets. I'm not stupid. I took many, many courses in the military so that I could hold this thing and be qualified and all that good stuff. But the point is, last night, I had all kinds of craziness going on around my house. Not, no one was breaking in. I think it was my little son running around acting a fool, but he was making all kinds of noise. So I run out in my skivvies, you know, the great man of God that I am, and I run to the closet, which is far from my room, 
to get my weapon. I have to unzip the bag, load it, and I'm like, my response time is garbage. If someone broke in our house, they would have killed us all by the time I had that weapon loaded. That's not good. That's not good. We need to have a continual readiness about ourselves in war. Now, this is controversial here, but it is what it is. What happened is, when the new regime took office, they immediately signed an executive order that said, now transgenders can serve in the military. Well, you say, well, you know, I don't, that's fine with me. What happens is, there's a 41% suicide rate in the transgender community. That is very, very high. 41%. That's more than one out of every three people. So now you're fighting alongside someone, and they don't even know if they want to live. That's what we're up against today. That's the war that we're at right now in our nation. The Bible says God made them male and female, so take that for what it's worth. But I'll say we need to be at continual readiness, and this is an assault on that readiness in our very military uh, that I once served in and that our first responders are serving in right now. Our text, verse 16 through 18. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind, and all the house of Judah, those who built on the wall, and those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other hand held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his work, had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So this is... In, in, uh, in the same context as what we talked about last week, having a mind to work. With one hand, they're doing the construction. They're building the things of God. And that's how we are in this generation today. We're building the things of God. We're on outreach. We're, we're praying for people. We're believing God for people. We're trying to fellowship, help people. But in the midst of that, we're getting attacked. You guys, getting attacked. That's just a reality of being a Christian. And so you have to be ready with your other hand to fight against Satan. They question, uh, the question that we need to ask ourselves is do we wake up every day with our spiritual weapons in our hands? Or is it just, well, today's a Tuesday or a Thursday. I don't need to pray today. There's nothing going on today. It's just a just a Monday. No, no big deal. Because I'm here to tell you, the devil doesn't take days off. Another executive order that was signed within the first week was now my tax dollars and your tax dollars will fund abortions in the entire country. But wait, there's more. Now we'll fund abortions overseas too. So when you pay taxes, you're paying for someone in Mexico or Europe or whatever to get an abortion. I hope, I hope you're okay with that. I'm not. Uh, but that was planned. It's, if they signed 40 executive orders in week one, 
then these things had to be planned ahead of time. They didn't just put together the documentation. And so the devil is planning. The devil is active. He doesn't take days off. He's ready at the drop of a hat. Are we ready? Is our sword girded at our side? And I'm not trying to get too political, but I mean, that's, that's the way it is. Some of these things are anti-God and anti-church. And you, you have to be aware of that because it's happening in the world that you live in. The Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity and the obedience of Christ. This is talking about praying against mindsets which have a strong hold on people's minds. Our city, our generation, our world is being polluted by social media and news media, and they're being conditioned to believe whatever they're told. We have to pray that God would unlock people's minds, that God would be able to break through to them. Because, I mean, honestly, there's some people who are just open, and they just, oh, what do you think? Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. And then there's some people that are locked up in their thinking, and you're, you're not going to get through uh, with anything short of a miracle of God. Example of this would be a poverty mindset, living off the government. Now, I'm not saying that some people don't need government assistance, government programs, and not all these things are bad. So don't paint me with that brush because I'm not saying that all people uh, don't fall, in, fall into this category. There are some who genuinely need assistance they genuinely need help. They're the poor, the lame. And I think we as a nation should take care of those people, the elderly. But there are people who their whole lives have been on food stamps, welfare, taking advantage of every government program they can. And they did it, and then their parents did it, and their parents did it. And when you challenge them, hey, you, you can be free from this. You can work, make your own money, and trust God for your finances, and you don't have to trust in the government. And they will, oh, no, no, I can't do that. The reason why is because this is a long-term poverty mindset that's been instilled from generation to generation. And God wants to break through to people because what's going to happen is in the last days, they're going to say, okay, you can have your check. You just need to take this mark on your hand. And instead of saying, no, I'm going to believe God to supply my needs. I don't need that mark. They're going to say, gladly, just give me my check. And before you know it, they're going to take the mark of the beast. Now, Ephesians 6, 14 through 20 says, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication 
for all the saints. And for me, the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Clearly, this scripture talks about warfare and the whole armor of God, and you can do your own study in your own time. But I don't want to focus on the entire armor. I want to focus on the offensive weapons that we're given to do battle with. First, he names off the sword of the spirit. Now, I busted out my nine. But this right here, this is just as powerful. Yes, amen. If not way, 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 way more. Because that might be able to take a life. But this can give someone life. Yes, amen, amen. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who must give account. Oh, I'm sorry, whom we must give account. We talked about how there are all kinds of distorted and perverted and unconventional and wicked mindsets. And the word of God is the truth we need to base our thoughts and our beliefs on. Now I gave the example of our nation now funding abortions here domestically and overseas. Well, the Word of God says in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. The world uh, would have you to believe that abortion is okay. And before I got saved, I believed that. I, I said, well, you know, if she gets pregnant, she's having an abortion. I can't afford to be a daddy. There's no way that's happening. So... Abortion is coming. But then what happened was, I got saved, and I heard the word of God, and now the Holy Spirit moving in me, and the word of God speaking to me, cut right to my heart, and basically told me, hey, abortion is wrong. Because the Bible says, God is forming those babies. The scripture says, before I formed you in the womb. Are you going to take over and tell God, no, you need to stop forming that because we're, we're going to destroy that? This is something God is forming. So when you abort a life, you're coming against what God is building. That's wicked. Secondly, I want to look at praying always. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I'm not going to get uh, too much into this because you could write whole sermon series about prayer. There's so many scriptures on it, but there's new people here and there's people who are developing their prayer life. And what I would say is that uh, here's a few things that you need to consider about prayer. You can pray always. You can pray in your car. You can pray in your bed. You can pray whenever. You can always pray. But the reality is 
There should be a time in your life where you set aside time for prayer. Where you set aside time to get a hold of God. Because if that's not there, no doubt you will get busy. No doubt the devil will throw distractions your way. I can count. I, I'm sorry. I can't count the number of times I've been witnessing to someone. They've been about to get saved. And then all of a sudden someone comes out of nowhere and says, Hey, come on, man. we got to go. Or you got a phone call. This is a demonic distraction. And the devil ordains those things. He orchestrates those things. And so... You need to set aside time with God to pray and talk to God. When you have a... Cicely's always dealing with me. Call your parents. <laughs> I do. I need to call my parents more. I've been very independent since age 18 for the most part. Uh, but I do. I need to do a better job at keeping in touch with my family. Uh, but when you have family members, you set aside time to talk to them. And God needs to be the same way. You need to set aside time to talk to the Father God. Secondly, paying, uh, praying without faith is completely pointless. There's times where we pray and we just are believing God. God's going to do it. I believe God. I'm going to speak faith. And then there's times where we just pray out of habit, out of repetition, but mixed with no real faith. Not believing that we're going to receive anything from God. One thing that will help you with these type of situations is when you're praying or before you're praying, remind yourself of what God has already done. Yes, all the things that He's already spoken to you about. All the, thing, all the prayers that He's already answered. And if He can do it there, why, why can't He do it here? His arm is not short. His hand is not slack. God can do it. We just need to believe. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if we put faith in our prayers, God, oh, it will blow our minds. Another thing to remember is that God sees the heart. Sometimes we don't have all the right words. We can't yes, articulate it, but we know what's going on here. In that case, pray in the Holy Ghost. Or if you don't know how to pray in the Holy Ghost, you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, we'll pray for you to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you need to just pray and talk to God. Just bear your heart before Him. Be open. And God knows what, what's really going on. He knows what you really need in that time. Yes, amen. Lastly, I want to look at the utterance to speak boldly the gospel. Uh, this is the third weapon that we have. And I've read that scripture about the whole armor of God so many times. And then I was like, yeah, the sword, the spirit, and prayer, they're all weapons. But I never put two and two together until recently that this is our third weapon and probably the most powerful weapon in the kingdom. Paul says... In verse uh, Ephesians 6, verse 19 and 20, And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is saying, God, give me a word from heaven for my generation. 
Give me a word from heaven for my family. Give me a word from heaven for my coworkers. Give me a word from heaven for this person in the gas station that I see every day. Whatever the case may be, we need a word from heaven yes, that we might amen, speak amen. boldly. This is our greatest offensive weapon. Because now we're taking the sword and we're speaking that sword. We're declaring the gospel. We're spreading that. Here's another little bullet for your gun. Ta -ta 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 -ta. The impact that these will have is determined by how much gunpowder you've gotten you, how much TNT, how much power of the Holy Ghost. But these these help. Yes. Shoot them. Empty your clip. We got plenty. And I actually pray, God, give me opportunities. Give me open doors. Give me open hearts that I might bring a word to people. You need to pray that. God, give me opportunities. Give me divine appointments with people today. You come across people every day. But we need to pray, God, open their hearts that I would have an open opportunity to speak to them. You know, the guy who prayed with me, he said... When he got saved, and it was only two years before he prayed with me, that he was a total introvert. Just, you know, you know, just total introvert. He didn't want to be around people. He didn't want to associate with people. This guy was one of the boldest guys I've ever met in my life when he prayed with me. And the reason why is because he realized, one, that God had been so good to him that God had given him this great gift of salvation and that his purpose was to share that gift with other people and that if he was going to be an introvert, he couldn't do that. So he had to step outside his comfort zone and he began to pray, God, make me bold. Give me a boldness. And I'm talking about this guy was super bold to the point where he people mad sometimes. But you know what? I'm one of his converts. One of my best friends in, in Florida is one of his converts. He's also a pastor. And the guy that prayed with me, he's a pastor now too. Very fruitful individual. But I, I attribute that to his boldness to speak for Jesus. And then Paul, at the end of the scripture, he says that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Translation, this is how Christians should speak. Boldly. They shouldn't be all, oh, I don't know if I should say this. It might hurt someone's feelings. Boldly. Boldly means without fear, just in case uh, you're wondering. Wednesday's sermon, we really touched on that. <laughs> in, in 1690, the French attacked and defeated the Prince of Waldeck at Fleurus. I've never heard of this war, but... It's true, I believe, that uh, it wasn't a fake illustration. <laughs> During this action, a lieutenant colonel of a French regiment was on the point of charging, not knowing how to an uh, animate his men, who were discontented at having commenced the campaign without being freshly clothed. They were mad because they didn't have new uniforms, <laughs> the French. Okay, so anyways, he said to them, my friends, I congratulate you that you have the good fortune to be in the presence of a regiment who is newly clothed. Charge them vigorously 
and we will clothe ourselves. So this inspired the soldiers, and they ran upon them, and they defeated them, and they took their clothes. Now, it makes me think about Air Jordans. But the point is, they had something, and they wanted what they had, so then they took it from them. In war, the victor gets the spoils. In the kingdom of God, the spoils could be the person or the thing that you're praying for. And right now, the devil has a hold of that person or that thing that you're praying for. Are you just going to sit by? Or are you going to go and take it? That's what war is. In closing... We need to recognize the threat. Rid ourselves of the rubbish that may have built up in our life. We need to get in position with our brethren and fight off enemy attacks that not only are we taking on, but that they're taking on as well. And we need to rally to those under attack. And lastly, we need to carry our weapons at our side. Gird ourselves with them and be ready to use the weapon of the word of God, the weapon of prayer and the weapon of preaching the gospel to people boldly at a moment's notice. We need to be ready because the devil, he doesn't take days off, neither should we. Amen, amen. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Thank you.